Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast. So excited to have with me today someone from America's Frontline Doctors. We have Dr. Richard Amerling. He's a nephrologist and professor. One thing that I love is an expert who is unbowed, unbossed, unbought, and unperturbed by what the mainstream media says or what Dr. Fauci says, who instead uses his scientific research-based knowledge and expertise to treat patients and help Americans, regardless of their political affiliation, just helping them and bringing them into complete health, which is what Dr. Richard Amerling does. Sir, thank you for joining us here on the podcast today. It's a great pleasure and honor, Stacey. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad we were able to make this work because um, I know that America's frontline doctors are busy. You all are, are hotly in demand because you're offering something that used to be routine here in this country, and that is just straight medical care. You, you're not saying, okay, this is what you get if you've had this shot. This is what you get if you haven't. You're just seeing patients, treating them based on your medical expertise and knowledge. Can you give us an update on your work at America's Frontline Doctors right now? Sure. Well, this is one of the original goals of the group. Uh, Simone Gold, Dr. Simone Gold, deserves a huge amount of credit for starting this whole thing going. And one of the problems initially was, of course, that people were not getting access to early outpatient treatment that we already knew was effective back in the spring of 2020. So we have continued to uh, help people get that treatment through a link to a telemedicine service. In fact, I was just on a call with them called Encore Telemedicine, where uh, you can get a consultation with a physician who will uh, usually prescribe you what you need. And there are a whole host of uh, protocols that we go through and look at, but mostly it comes down to getting early treatment with either hydroxychloroquine, zinc, uh, or ivermectin and vitamin nutraceuticals, et cetera, uh, either as prophylaxis or immediately upon becoming symptomatic. We also uh, encourage people to go for the Regeneron infusion, which is widely available, made available by the federal government throughout the country at infusion centers that are uh, easy to find uh, based on a website. So we provide that as well. And that has been very busy during the recent Delta surge, which fortunately now is tapering off. We were fielding uh, over 60,000 calls a month. Wow. So that is a, an extremely volatile amount of calls and people who are seeking help. Um, so are you able to, to like, have you, have you developed to a place at America's Frontline Doctors where you're, the 60,000 calls a month is is something that you're handling with ease, or are you still kind of ramping up for that? Because I know that's a discussion I've had at lunch with a bunch of my friends from book club where we're like, you know, American Frontline Doctors is helping people, um, but they're, they're so busy because so many people need help right now. Are you able to handle the influx? Well, yes. Uh, we, we were hard-pressed. At the beginning of the surge, we were a little bit caught off guard. It was so big and so intense, uh, and we had to bring on extra people, which takes time. You know, we can't bring people on instantaneously. They have to go through a process, credentialing, training, all that stuff. So we did ramp up our uh, ability to handle the volume, and we brought the waiting time down. The waiting time was an issue back in, I would say, August and September. It is now very reasonable. Most people are seen the same day. And the volume is down, too, by the way, which is good. I mean, it means that the Delta wave has rece is receding. 
And, you know, now we're bracing ourselves for the, the flu season because people are going to be diagnosing flu as COVID almost certainly. Uh, but for now, we have a little moment of respite and we're uh, fully caught up. I don't think there's really any backlog at this point. And we're hoping for the best. So I, I think that's exciting. And I'm so glad to hear that because it's nice to have a little lull to kind of, you know, regroup. But I, I'm I'm also wondering, so, you know, what would you say to listeners of the podcast here who are thinking, um, I've never had COVID-19. I have also not had the shot. And so I saw someone, uh, someone I respect greatly was tweeting out and he was saying, listen, get your preparations in order because anyone who hasn't had COVID-19, eventually you will encounter it and you need to have a plan for how you're going to deal with it. Do you know you can trust your primary care physician or do you know the hospital nearest to you will give you monoclonal antibodies or Regeneron, which I remember Regeneron. I believe that's one that President Trump took when he, when he had COVID-19, he was given Regeneron. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. We we do encourage people to be prepared uh, and to have medications on hand particularly hydroxychloroquine and or ivermectin, and to take care of themselves, stay healthy, get out in the sun, get out in the fresh air, and don't be fearful, okay? This is a very survivable virus for the vast majority of people. Don't be terrified of it. There's no reason to be. And also, the point you raised about the primary physician, I have to mention that the primary care physicians around the country have failed. They have abdicated, in my view, their responsibility to their patients to take care of COVID in the early period when it is very treatable. This advice to send people home with COVID and no treatment except Tylenol for fever and to wait until you literally can't breathe and then show up at the hospital uh, where you're not going to get great care, frankly, is massive malpractice, frankly. And this is going on around the country. So America's frontline doctors and other groups, too, stepped into this huge void created by the abdication of the vast majority of practicing physicians who, sadly, were waiting for better guidance, as they say, from the powers that be, the CDC, et cetera, the NIH, which never came. And they they felt paralyzed, for lack of a better term, uh, because they did not they were not being told exactly what to do. To me, it's a sad commentary on the state of medicine today. I really feel like it's uh, it's a, a moral issue because I, growing up, I always heard that doctors, you know, you're, you, it's a calling. You're called to be a doctor, and I, I still believe that. Um, but that there's the teaching in medical school is such that you feel this deep and abiding sense of responsibility to your patients, and that really that sense of responsibility to do no harm and to actually help patients and improve their lives is so overarching. And it's so, it's like something they have naturally when they go into medical school, but then in medical school, it's kind of drilled into them and it becomes a part of who they are. And somewhere along the line, we've lost that because it should be impossible in the United States of America to have available treatments that are cheap. And literally you, you just write the script and they take it to, instead of taking it to CVS or Walgreens, you take it to an independent compounding pharmacy and they give you the pills and you take that and you never end up on a vent or in the hospital, no admission whatsoever. It should be impossible for those treatments to exist and not to be dispensed that all of the doctors in America would say to the CDC or whoever they needed to, I won't 
actually follow this guidance not to give patients this life-saving medication. I won't be responsible for people dying. But that is what we're seeing. And, and it's not just in one or two spots across the country. And I, I find that shocking. It, it indicates that we have lost a moral footing, not just within physicians, but in the, the realm of medical care, but across the country, because it takes a lot of coordination and participation for ivermectin and uh, hydroxychloroquine to be kept away from millions of people. It, it's not something that you can do easily. They're actually working at it. Yeah, it's true. Uh, this was a coordinated campaign to suppress these treatments, and it's not hard to figure out who's behind this. Uh, you have to follow the money or qui bono who's benefiting from this, and it's clear that the big pharmaceutical companies who were anticipating mega revenue from the vaccines, which they got, by the way, did not want any cheap, easily available remedies that were actually successful to interfere with them getting emergency use authorization. So there was a massive campaign to censor doctors who were promoting these drugs and demonize them. I mean, to the point where a fake study was actually published in The Lancet claiming that hydroxychloroquine use resulted in a 30% increase in mortality and it turned out that the data was completely fabricated. So you think about what went into this campaign, it's astonishing. And sadly, the medical profession should have stood up against it and said, no, we are not going to uh, sit around on our hands waiting for our patients to decompensate and go to the hospital. We're going to step up and take care of them. And fortunately, a handful of doctors did, and they saved thousands and thousands of patients' lives. So I just, the thing with the um, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine is in what we routinely refer to as the third world, which I, I no longer am using that term uh, to refer to nations on the, the continent of Africa, because they've actually, they take um, hydroxychloroquine as a preventative. So we know it's safe because they take it in like six month runs. They take it for six months, take a few months off, take it for six more months to fight against, you know, viruses that are prevalent in that, you know, that they can't eradicate. So they take it and it protects them against that. And so they had a much lower caseload of COVID-19. I mean, the deaths in comparison have been almost non-existent. They had some, but nothing like what we've had. So all of the westernized nations who participated in this campaign of misinformation about these two cheap drugs, have we've had higher death rates. Obviously, we have higher obesity rates as well. That is an impact that no one discusses. But the, this complex conversation really boils down to two super cheap pills that would rob huge pharmaceutical companies that are already flush with cash from the ability to capitalize on a pandemic. I, I This is stuff you can't make up. It's actually a good script for a Hollywood film about pandemics, but it's our real life right now. <laughs> right. This is crime on a massive scale. And hopefully the perpetrators will be held accountable. It's been estimated that 80% of the deaths could have been prevented in the United States and other, other countries where they blocked access to these drugs. Uh, and it's true in Africa and other countries, certain countries in Central America, where it was readily available over the counter, uh, they had much better results, much fewer deaths. And the availability of early treatment is a huge factor in the outcome in patients. If they get the early treatment, they do better. Even if they end up getting quite sick, they will very likely survive. 
So that's the outcome that I'm interested in. So walk us through, and we understand that this is all available at America's Frontline Doctors, and I have a link to your website on the show notes. So anyone who's listening to the podcast can simply click the link, and they're right there at your site. What do you recommend people do now if if you don't have COVID-19 and you are wanting to be prepared, and you mentioned having some meds on hand, walk us through the steps that you would recommend to us. We come to your website, and then what do we do, sir? Okay, well, the website has very useful information even before you get to the stage of requesting a consultation, such as find out about Regeneron, find out where that's given, and be ready to go there in case you get sick, Uh, taking care of yourself, getting vitamins, getting fresh air, getting sun. In fact, we have a link to a very widely read guide to outpatient treatment of COVID-19 that was put together by the Truth for Health Foundation. So there's a ton of very useful information. So go get yourself informed, first of all. Uh, Then if you actually do want to get hold of some of these medications, sign up for consultation. The consultation is by Encore Telemedicine, which is uh, a separate company. They do their own hiring credentialing, et cetera. Uh, and they charge $90 for the consultation, after which you will have a prescription for these drugs, if they are felt to be correct for you, which will be sent to a pharmacy, and then pharmacy will provide them, will deliver them to you. Now, we do not have a relationship as AFLDS with any pharmacy, okay? So the pharmacy has been an issue because pharmacists are under pressure not to fill these medications which is another level of the malevolence that's been occurring behind the scenes. Uh, Particularly the big chains like CVS have been uh, reluctant. You have to to find a willing pharmacist at one of these chains who's who's going to actually dispense. And that's another aspect of this, which is chilling, because pharmacists typically will fill any legitimate prescription, right? That's their role in the chain. And for them to put up a barrier is, again, unprecedented and, frankly, unethical, if not outright illegal. So, yeah, so you get your telemedicine consultation, uh, get prescriptions, get them filled, and you'll be ready should things happen. One more thing I'd like to add is that I think everybody should get antibodies checked because COVID-19 has now been around in various variants for almost two years. And I think the vast majority of Americans have been exposed to it. You may not have known it. You may have had a very mild, almost asymptomatic exposure, infection, but you still have antibodies. And if you have antibodies, you're protected. You do not need to worry. You don't need to stock up on medication. You don't need to go for Regeneron infusion. You're going to be fine. And no matter what variants come along, you will be fine. So don't believe this nonsense about natural immunity not providing effective protection. Of course it does. It's durable and broad. You're going to be fine. So uh, it's worth getting your antibodies checked. Now, if you think you've had an infection and your antibodies come back negative, that's very possible. Then the next step would be to get your T cells checked. And there's a company called TDTECT that does this. You can reach them online and have that done. So you have peace of mind. If you have T-cells or antibodies against COVID, you should have peace of mind. 
Okay, doctor. So you covered a lot there, but you you pivoted perfectly because my next question was going to be about um, antibodies and and so you I watched with interest when Dr. Rand Paul, who's a sitting U.S. senator, he he gave some remarks saying, you know, I'm actually not anti-vaccine. I also, uh, you know, I'm a physician and I actually see patients. So I have had the COVID-19 virus and it was a very public announcement that he made when he got sick with it. And then he was out for a while and of course then quarantined after he was well and then came back. And so he said, I have durable immunity. Uh, I have, uh, you know, these, these antibodies that are being produced in my T cells. And so I am not going to take a shot that will basically wipe out my natural immunity and replace it with an immunity that it, you know, I don't know if it's durable and lasting. I know I have durable, long lasting immunity. And it was something that should have completely changed the conversation nationwide about how we treat people. But in response to that, the CDC stopped having blood centers where you go and donate blood. They no longer give you an antibody test as soon as you arrive because people were like, oh, I have antibodies. Okay, cool. And they're donating blood. Now they just won't give you the antibody test. You just donate blood if you want to or not. So this is a huge thing for people. And you said something that I am not sure I, I need more understanding on, Dr. Amerling, and that is... You said you possibly could have had COVID-19 and had a mild case. Does a mild case of COVID-19 still produce T-cell antibodies? Yes, absolutely. T-cells for sure. Antibodies, maybe, maybe not. The first barrier to infection with a respiratory virus is in the upper airway. The upper airway has its own separate antibody system based on IgA antibodies that are produced in the mucosal cells of these, uh, well, specialized cells, but this is in the mucosa of the upper airways. And they will take care of the infection in a lot of people. And you may never get to the point where you've produced uh, blood antibodies, right, from your plasma cells, from the B cells. But your T cells will be involved, and they will have the memory of the infection. And that can be detected with the T-detect test. Uh, Yeah, the antibody issue is fascinating because you would think that if they were truly concerned, they meaning like the CDC, et cetera, if they were truly concerned with protecting the population, if they would want to be, number one, assured that you don't have antibodies before you get the vaccine because we don't give vaccines to people who are already immune. That is simply bad medicine. And that after the shots, that you produce antibodies because if you don't, then you're not protected. They did not care. In fact, they discouraged antibody testing for everybody, including those who have had the vaccine. Why? Well, maybe they don't want to find out that a lot of people didn't even make antibodies, which I'm sure is true. But also, they want to keep people in the dark, and they don't really care, in my view, how individual patients do. They don't really care if people get COVID and die. It's obvious. When I was uh, a younger nephrologist, we had a big, you know, hepatitis B was a big problem in dialysis units. It was almost endemic. It was so common. So when the hepatitis B vaccine came out, we were all very grateful to be able to take that series of shots. Well, they started out by measuring your antibodies. And then after the series of, I believe it was three shots, they checked antibodies again. And if you didn't make antibodies, you had more shots. So Unless you verify antibody production, you can't assume that anyone's protected. And it's obvious, by the way, that uh, these vaccines don't really protect from infection. 
Yeah, because people keep having what they call breakthrough infections, but it's not really a breakthrough if you know in advance that it doesn't protect you from infection. Yeah, and they never demonstrated that they protect from infection. The endpoint in the trials was simply a reduction in symptoms, which, by the way, is a very, what we call a soft endpoint, because it's subjective, right? It's not a hard outcome. A hard endpoint would be hospitalization rate, death rate, okay? That would be a good hard outcome, hard endpoint to study. They didn't study that. They didn't look at that. So they didn't show that these shots prevent infection. They didn't show they prevent transmission. They didn't show that they prevent hospitalization or death. So what exactly do they do? The answer is very little, very little. And they have a serious adverse event. We have been pushing for, and AFLDS and others, you know, Peter Doshi, for example, British Medical Journal, from the very beginning, he's an editor there, has been pushing for access to all the source data. This is a minimum. How can you launch a vaccinate the world campaign based on a couple of pharma-produced studies that have obvious issues, obvious deficiencies, shall we say? There's major cause for concern, and that if we had access to the source data, I am confident we would find that these shots don't work at all and that they are very toxic, and they knew all of this from the beginning. So there's a lot out there, and I don't want to I don't want to veer off too far into it, but I have to at least ask you about it because you're here. And, and I just, I, first of all, thank you again for joining us, Doctor. But I I, I have a, a lot of trouble with the alternative side of it because I have friends who are doctors who, because of you know their the practice that they're in, the affiliation with a major you know health network. They got the vaccine early on, and they seem perfectly fine. Like they seem perfectly healthy. I have some friends who have also been vaccinated, so it's it's. I, I've I've not gotten on the radio or any platforms and said, "Do not take this shot." I've said for myself, I'm not taking it just because I have with my medical history. I feel it is better for me. Um, and and getting I, I followed all of the instructions on getting my blood work done, getting my labs, making sure that. My vitamin D was brought up, which I've always had low vitamin D. So for the first time in my adult life, I actually have a normal vitamin D level, but I had to go see a certain kind of doctor for him to help me get there because my regular, you know, my internist, she just was unable to get my number up. And this other doctor, he said, we'll have this up in less than 90 days. And he did. And so I feel pretty confident that even with my medical history, I'll be able to contract it. If, if that's what happens to me, I'll be able to survive it based on the survivability rates for people my age who have similar medical histories. So I've not advocated against it, but I do have some friends who are on the other side of it who they have not had the shot and they, they genuinely believe that the spike proteins are the cause of some of the menstrual issues that young women have seen and that the myocarditis and pericarditis, that have those are actually, the, those are accepted. The CDC has admitted that that happens. The blood clot issue with the small subset of women, they've admitted that that's real. So there are some things about this shot that can be harmful. Where do you stand on that? Do you advocate for people not to get the shot? Or do you, you just explained how ineffective it is, so it's kind of a waste. But how do you talk about people who have already gotten the, the shot and, and are maybe now concerned about their health going forward and, and whether or not to get it if they've not gotten it? Yeah, it's a tough question. And initially, I think many of us felt that if you were in a high-risk category, that it was probably worth getting the vaccine. 
And that was before we had all this really negative safety data coming out with adverse events and the Bayer's database uh, blowing up really with uh, serious adverse events, including over, I think, 17,000 deaths at this point. But all medical treatments should be subjected to a risk versus benefit analysis. That's how a doctor should approach it. So what's the benefit? The benefit would be symptom reduction. Best we could say, right from their studies, if you believe the studies, which I don't, by the way, symptom reduction, there is no survival benefit that they've demonstrated. There is no benefit in terms of reduction even in hospitalization rates. So, uh, you know, your benefit there from taking the shot is already extremely weak, especially if you're, say, healthy under 50, your chances of dying from COVID are 0.001%, and that's assuming you get it. So where's the benefit there from the shot? And so you weigh against that very minimal benefit, the risk. What is the risk? Well, the risk is you could die, okay? There are people who have died within days of these shots who were relatively healthy or healthy when they walked in, young people, even teenagers, young kids have died after getting these shots. We know the mechanism of action now pretty well of these shots. They induce cells in your body to produce the pathogenic portion of the virus, which is called the spike protein. The spike protein can activate platelets and cause blood clots. It can activate the cells that line blood vessels and lead to blood clotting. And blood clotting was predicted by Dr. Bakhti, for example, and others, at the beginning of the rollout of the vaccines, he said, you're going to see a lot of blood clots. And sure enough, we do. So why take any risk at all if the benefit is zero or close to zero? That's how you should look at it. And for most people, the benefit is going to be zero or close to zero. So I would say don't take it at this point. And so that... that brings me to this this you know as we're closing out here uh, I'm I, I I want to be fair to people who through just their normal routine which I was one of those people as well I took the flu shot every single year um, without thinking I actually was kind of ingrained into that from growing up on military bases because my dad was on active duty and then I went into the military and I you know you you line up and you get your flu shot it, there's no question it's not like oh should I take it or not you just got it and went on about your business so a lot of people have that same thought I'm fully immunized on everything else so I'm you know uh, why would I not take this shot and they, they there's a bit of tinfoil hat cuckoo you know kind of clown world um, it's it's like labeling that has been applied to people who are concerned about side effects or dying from taking this shot. And especially some of the reactions that have been seen online where they, they don't give it mainstream reporting. They give mainstream reporting to people who are unvaccinated, who change their minds and say from their hospital bed, I should have gotten the shot. But they don't cover people who their spouse or their child has died or is suffering from Bell's palsy or, or all kinds of different things. From And this is within days to a week of having taken the shot. So there's a whole world of people out there who, if you say, I'm not taking it because I'm concerned about the side effects, they immediately, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're, you know, so help us to discuss that in a calm, reasonable manner. Like, how do we respond to people who are continually 
vilifying those of us who don't want to take the shot for whatever reason and characterizing us as, you know, kooks because we don't want it? Well, a couple of things. One is that, and let me also get at the AFLDS view on this. The view of AFLDS on this is that the shot is an individual choice. In no way, shape, or form should it ever be mandated. So most of our efforts in terms of the legal sphere have been against the mandates. No one should be forced to take this treatment, okay? In fact, we are really now saying it's not a vaccine in the true sense of the word. Forget about the mechanism of action, which is not the standard vaccine mechanism of action. It doesn't prevent disease. It doesn't prevent transmission of disease. So you can't really call it a vaccine. It's more a treatment of some sort than a vaccine. And in no way, shape, or form should a treatment ever be mandated. People should never be put in the position of losing their job or being kicked out of their college or university because they don't want to take a treatment that is, by the way, still under investigation and will be until 2023. It, this is outrageous. It's outrageous. If the shots really worked well, you wouldn't need to force people to take them. They would line up willingly to take them. And they did initially, by the way. Right. <laughs> Many people did. So um, the pressure to take these shots is in and of itself cause for concern. I would always tell my patients, don't even think about taking any drugs that you see advertised on television because they're invariably horrible drugs. If they were really good, doctors would be very happy to prescribe them and patients would take them and you wouldn't need to advertise them. So advertising is a sign of a bad drug. Well, this is beyond advertising. This is massive coercion, and it should make people suspicious and, frankly, make them want to run in the other direction. And I think that a lot of people are finally seeing this. Uh, if it were only a choice, the debate would be much less intense. If, if the government had said and if companies had said, look, schools had said, if it's up to you, we realize that uh, th these are still new products, we have by the way, zero long-term safety data. We know they don't last. Even if they worked initially, they don't last very long, and they're now pushing boosters. And there will be boosters as far as the eye can see. But if it was just a free choice, people could make up their own minds. And who, who am I to tell someone who I don't even know what to do? I can only tell you what I would do personally and what I would recommend to my patients. But it's not a free choice anymore. That's the problem. It's being forced on people. And this is unethical. It's, it'll be, I think it's illegal. It's medically wrong. It is failed as a strategy. Every country that has pushed these vaccines in a big way has seen COVID cases spike and deaths go up. It's horrific. It's a total failure. But these people are not about to back down. In fact, they're going to intensify their push. And I've seen that. And I think there were a few articles by people on the political left who said, you know, the the way that people are talking about unvaccinated Americans this early on is actually suppressing the number of people who want to get vaccinated. And people have dug their heels in. I think they've reached a place. We've already reached a place in America where anyone who wanted the vaccine has gotten it. And 
I always fall back into calling it the vaccine, but I recently, uh, about three or four weeks ago, started calling it the shot because I noticed they never call the flu shot the flu vaccine. They always called it the flu shot. And the doctors always told you up ahead of time, you, this does not prevent you from catching the flu. It's to help ameliorate the the impacts of the two most prevalent strains. All the other strains, if you encounter one of these other strains, you're going to catch the flu and it's going to be as rough as it, it will be because we we can't we can't give shots for all of these variants. And so I've been told that over and over again by my primary care physician whenever she says, you know, it's time for your flu shot. And I always say, okay, and I take it. And she always explains this does not prevent you from catching it. So this is a totally uncharted territory that we're in right now. Um, and and you mentioned that, that there are nations who are already like um, Israel has this amazing vaccination rate over 80 percent. I, I even saw a statistic that said over 90 percent, but I know it's over 80 percent. And they're still considering even further coercion. They have just told everyone who had the first two shots that they're not actually fully vaccinated anymore. You have to have the booster in order to be considered fully vaccinated. And they're living this kind of nightmare where everyone has done what they were told and they're still not good enough. They're never fully vaccinated. So it that in and of itself is a great reason not to get it because I'll never be able to satisfy their need for me to take these shots. I'll be taking them every 90 days for the rest of my life if I give in and take the first one. That's right. And let's not forget that the end game here also involves acceding to a vaccine passport of some sort, which will usher in a social control system, not unlike what's going on in communist China, where everything that you want to do in your life is going to be regulated by your ability to prove that you are vaccinated. And that's going to require boosters ad nauseum. They'll never end. Will never end, and eventually they will kill you. Uh, simply by the the mechanism of action, will will build up, and it's going to destroy your immune system or whatever. It's going to kill you. So you have to say no now. This is why. This is how bad it has gotten. Initially, you could have said, "Yeah, people can take it if they want." I, I cannot say that anymore. It's just too dangerous, and it, it's giving in to the coercion, which is unconstitutional unethical. Uh, It it is a one-size-fits-all medical policy that is the antithesis, in my view, of what should be good medical care based on individual needs. The fact that they're pushing this on everybody, regardless of their risk from the disease, regardless of their prior immune status, regardless of whether they are pregnant or not or wish to become pregnant, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera on and on down the list. They do not care. None of these individual concerns merit any uh, concern by the authorities. You must get the shot no matter what. And this is terrifying. Well, I think whenever we feel a sense of terror, we look around to see what we can do to regain control over our our circumstances. And I think today's podcast and and my, my time chatting with you about all of the different aspects of everything that we're dealing with right now, from the public policy to personal actions we can take to protect ourselves, will go a long way to banishing that terror and helping people to stand up against what has really become an attempt to rewrite and change the very foundations of who we are as a nation, Um, changing us into communist China, where a few people at the top get to tell us what we put in our bodies and where we can go eat and in, and even where we can live and work, 
we have to stand up against that. And being informed is the first step. Dr. Richard Amerling, you're a nephrologist, a professor, uh, a part of America's Frontline Doctors, which is an organization that I have come to respect so much. And I'm so grateful for your time today, sir, and that you um, that you're standing up. It's not an overstatement to say that our heroes today in 2021 are those who are willing to simply speak the truth without fear of what happens after that. Um, and there are too few people doing what you're doing. So thank you for your time and for being a truth teller and for working uh, to save lives as you've been doing. Thank you very much, Stacey. I'd be happy to uh, chat with you anytime. It was actually very well said. Oh, thank you. I, I'm so glad to hear that. I feel so much better informed. And, and um, I was I was thinking, can I even get an appointment? So now I know I can. So I, I'm going to be sharing that with my friends who are in the same boat as me, un, unshot. And, and you know, we're, we're just living our lives. So <laughs> we can do that with a little more confidence after hearing you today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't be. Af- yeah, no fear. Do not be afraid. Your Absolutely. body is a, is a wonderful thing. And it's going to take care of uh, infections as it has for your, you know, Going back millennia, we 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 lived about these shots. <laughs> Such a great point. All right, Dr. Richard Aberling, we will talk again. Have a wonderful afternoon. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. All right. That is today's podcast. I'm so excited that I got to talk to Dr. Amberling. I feel like we're buddies, like we could have tea or coffee. He was so nice. Please share this podcast. I think it'll go a long way to making people feel better about what is actually a very manageable situation. Join us again. God bless.